welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-host is the DJ. How are you going, DJ? Oh, I'm going good. I'm going good. Another recording. Woohoo! We're going. We're going <laughs> to the moon. Yeah. You could not be more cringy today, could you? <laughs> hey, 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 Elon Musk on the Saturday Night Live was was great. Was great. Yeah, and you realize Doge dropped thirty percent after he was on there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was which was funny. I'm like, damn, man. <laughs> he, I think it would say like uh, the it was uh, Doge coins a hustle. <laughs> I'm like, damn, man. You really had to say that, didn't you? Yeah, I don't think you can trust Elon too. <laughs> You can't predict Elon. Nah, you can't predict him. Uh, uh, the funny and uh, interestingly, he um, said that he was the first person with Asperger's to host Saturday Night Live. Apparently, interesting. Although I'll, I'll go give Elon credit. He uh, he loves to put on the show and loves to um loves to int- uh, attract the crowds. Basically, he's also just a tiny little bit of a jerk. <laughs> Come on, when you have that amount of, that much money, you have the right to be a jerk. Well, you don't have the right to it. You can just get away with it. Yeah, yeah. But on to our first topic for tonight. What did I actually... You know what? We always record at night, and I always say topic for tonight, <laughs> but we release at 9 a.m. in the morning, so technically... Well, if if, we, if, if it's London time, yes, and it's night time, but... <laughs> yeah. Anyway, our first topic for this episode, the epic Apple court case. What is it like, the uh, unstoppable force versus the immovable object kind of thing? Kind of. Two companies with boatloads of money having an argument about who gets to make more money. (laughs) I mean, that's one way of putting it. (laughs) Yeah. Although I don't think Apple can, Apple don't put does Apple do any money on in the gaming sector or they just it's just um, there was the Apple TV games I think oh that must have been cringy as hell I don't really remember much about it I think it was like Stadia but on Apple TV okay huh, here are some here uh, I found a list here are some games for Apple TV in 2021 so you got Rayman Adventures uh, Dungeon Hunter Five. Song Pop Party, uh, Horizon Chase World Tour, just random games, basically. Okay, well, so I that- recognize two of those. Rayman is famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Horizon Chase is a arcade racer game, just a little indie thing. Yeah, but they haven't get, but they haven't developed any games of their own, have they? Apple. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Nothing too serious, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, this court case has been st- has been uh, accumulating for ye- for months now, if I recall. Yeah, court cases tend to do that, but they finally started um, having an actual hearing on it. And because of the way they have to release the documents they they're using as evidence, we're finding out a lot of uh, juicy little details. <laughs> like the Epic Game Store is predicted to be profitable in 2024. No. Yeah, so no. by the time this all shakes out, Epic will have been running a game store at a loss for five or six years. Wow. How the that's a pretty <laughs> That's a pretty big bomb. Well, they're making enough money off their other products, mostly Fortnite. Yeah, but yeah. not even Fortnite on PC. Their most profitable Fortnite platform is actually PS4. Figures, yeah. 
So it's kind of surprising they're using the um, PS4 to fund their push into PC gaming. So Fortnite's highest revenues, uh, 46.8% on PS4, 27.5% on Xbox One, and only 7% on iOS, which is the, the big argument that's going on here. <laughs> You gotta hand it to Epic though. Like they've been running this up, they've been running this thing for years, and hiding this fact is a very bold. It's very bold. I don't think they've been trying to hide it. I mean, can I you? I think ima- it's just not something that was worth telling people. I mean, can you imagine like uh, going to a stock investors meeting at Epic and you just say like, "Okay, uh, we have a confession to make. We've been running out of loss for five or six years, and your investments have not been doing any dividends for those years." You'd be well, really pissed off, wouldn't you? No, because it's not the whole company running at a loss. It's specifically the game store division. Ah, okay. So the people who operate the game store are separate from the people who run Unreal Engine and the people who run Fortnite and anything else they might have. And they're funneling money from their other divisions to continue funding the game store and buy out games, um do the free giveaways. Mm. But it's a a big surprise that, you know, they're still three or four years out of uh, being able to make a profit on it. I mean, the COVID um, situation isn't doing any, isn't helping the situation in any sense. Actually, COVID helped game stores a lot. True, true. Everybody being stuck at home meant people bought tons of, uh, tons of games and sales went up massively in early 2020. Okay, I'll grant you that. But how much money did Epic Game Store make during that time? It must have been. It must have been I don't a- have a source for that, but yeah. I think it would be somewhere, probably a smaller increase than what Steam saw because Epic just has fewer users. Hmm. Although, assuming Epic users buy the same number of games as Steam users, uh, I don't actually know the demographics. It's possible that, you know, Fortnite targets younger gamers. So it's possible that Epic Store users are actually younger than uh, Steam users and might have less disposable income or more. I'm not, you know, this is all hypothetical. Mm, oh, okay, I hear something interesting for you. So in 2020 through the Epic Game Store, Epic Games lost $273 million in expenses. Yes, and the profit that they expect to make in 2024 is only $45 million. <laughs> I mean, damn. Okay, so what are the other other juicy details from the lawsuit that you've encountered? Well, Epic, you know, they've been buying out exclusives. Uh, according to the documents, pushing to get Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft first-party games on the store, which the most ridiculous part of that is the Nintendo. (laughs) I kind of doubt that, you know, I'm sure they'd love to get it, but I doubt Nintendo is actually going to partner with Epic. I mean, mean, if... Games companies, if they if they see a profit, they in the long term they could. But with this revelation and Nintendo, well, Nintendo doesn't care. Nintendo does what Nintendo wants to do. Yeah, yeah. like I um, get that. Microsoft I, I, once went to speak to them about buying Nintendo, and <laughs> apparently they were basically laughed out of the room. <laughs> I mean, that would have been hilarious if if it, if it actually fell through, though. 
uh, I think using that term wrong, fell through usually means it failed. Ah, sorry. Imagine if imagine if it succeeded though. Like if Microsoft bought Nintendo, that would have been a very very funny re- funny union of sorts. Well, yeah. You imagine Nintendo Xbox. <laughs> well, that kind of brings me to my next point. Microsoft has never made money on the Xbox hardware. No, no. Yeah. All of the money that the Xbox division makes is from selling software. What? So consoles are usually sold at a loss. You create this hardware and then sell it cheaply to get it into people's hands. Then once they have it, they're basically locked into buying games from you. You can then sell the games at a certain price and take a commission on that. And then then you get the, uh, the money that you can use to put into developing your next platform and hopefully keep dominance. Like the Xbox uh, One generation hurt Microsoft because they really screwed up and Sony whipped them in in that generation. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's not impossible to sell a console for a profit. It's just that for the first couple of years especially, the console is sold below cost. And that's also why they want to keep it locked down. They don't want people running custom code on the console because if you do that, apart from enabling piracy, they're effectively selling you a computer below cost. Yeah. And you don't have to come back to them. That's why traditionally console manufacturers have been really locked down. The Xbox Series consoles seem to be less locked down. You can run emulators on them uh, by putting them into, I think, developer mode, which is nice. Uh, I like like the sound of the consoles being more open for indie developers. Ironically, this is uh, I, I was watching a video um, about about what you were saying in terms of adding in emulators and software and stuff. Um, oh, there was a New Zealand traveler that went to Pakistan and he. He was, ta- he was showing all these like shops of, oh yeah, this th- you can mod these pla- these places you can you can do mods and repairs and stuff. And I'm like, damn man, they're well, cheap as hell as well. Yeah, that's a thing in the West as well though. You can buy a mod chip for your PlayStation on the online quite easily. You might not have the skills or technology to connect it, but you can buy it. And it really depends on the console. So the PlayStation One, you need an extra chip to put in there. Hmm. The original Xbox. Screw you, Microsoft, and your stupid naming system. <laughs> the original Xbox, you just need to bridge two points on the board that put it into debug mode uh, or something along those lines. You put it into some sort of debug mode, then you can install your custom software. Uh, okay, so any other... De- well, uh, okay, well, more details. I'm, I'm juicy. Yeah. It's some more details now. Well, it's so... So some more details on why the consoles are sold at a loss. Eventually, some consoles become profitable. That's happened for Sony and Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. We've seen it Usually that's because they find a way to simplify the board. Uh, They cut features. You know, the early model PlayStations usually have remote, uh, sorry, not remote, backwards compatibility. Yeah. And then they drop that in the slim a year or two down the line. So they drop features like that, or if there's an update to the manufacturing, they might make the CPU on a different node and be able to get it cheaper and at a better yield. And that's why it's so hard to buy a PC at the same price as a console, because consoles are cheating. Yeah. 
Interestingly, there. The, interestingly, with the uh, PS5, how they're starting to now add in SSDs as well, which is really weird. Well, SSDs uh, are dirt cheap these days. Oh, yeah, and they're not yeah. exactly putting in big ones. Like they're not as cheap as a spinning disc, but we are hitting the technical limits of spinning disc. Mm-hmm. I did read a bit on, on about this uh, lawsuit, by the way, Professor, and I found a very interesting one in terms of uh, a couple of competitors decide to start their own um, online games shop uh, model as well, like Walmart. For example, yeah, it's <laughs> becoming like the streaming market. For years, we had the one or two options, um, particularly in streaming, it was Netflix. Then everyone else realized they wanted a bit of that pie. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine Walmart uh, becoming an online games retailer? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit surprising. Now, there's something else I've also read an analysis on. Uh, on Reddit, based on some statistics that Epic released, and it's shown that player base is not tied to Twitch viewership. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, are you, are you, are you sure about that? I mean, normally it's the, like with Fortnite and stuff. It's it's the player base, player base, and Fort and Twitch would be the same, would be in the same count. Well, in this case. So obviously there are some cases where uh, a game gets picked up on Twitch, then blows up, and millions of people play it. Yeah. Among Us is the uh, currently most famous version of that. Uh, It started off really small, some Twitch players played it, and then it just exploded. But in this case, there is no correlation between the player player count and the viewer count. So... For Fortnite, at least, you know, we really need more data to be able to make a definitive statement on it. But some big streamers left Fortnite in 2019, which is the year the data is from, and viewership dropped significantly. Yeah, I remember, um, I think that was the year when Ninja decided to uh, yeah. move Twitch for, um, what was it? It was it was for another um, brand. Mixer. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, he told... Um, yeah, he told Twitch they were going to leave it for and to to go for Mixer, and everybody lost their mind. Yeah, and it worked out to be great for him because he made like twenty million dollars, and then Mixer shut down. So he's uh, pretty sure he's going back to Twitch. Yeah, 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 he has, he has. So he just made twenty million dollars to take a six month to a year um, job. So so around that same time a lot of people stopped streaming Fortnite and player view account dropped dramatically. Monthly users didn't drop quite as much, like significantly less. Uh, let me just double check the statistics. Yeah, so the player base is relatively stable compared to the viewership. And I think that makes sense. A lot of people probably do pick up a game because they see it on a stream or a YouTube video, but just because your favorite streamer starts playing something else, you're not going to stop playing your favorite game. And people follow streamers for the personality, not the games. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to see more data on this, but at least for Fortnite, it's not cor- doesn't seem to be correlated. Uh, what it would probably do is show you trending ideas. So you'd probably see a jump in viewer counts when an expansion comes out, uh, because people will go back to that game. Same for the player base. But when the streamers stop stop playing it, people don't stop playing. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I, I have t- tongue-tied myself there. When the streamers stop playing it, regular gamers don't stop playing. Nah, they won't point. stop. They, they, they won't stop playing. Like, it, 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 like <laughs> unless if they're like. They'll be fed with like more and more updates and stuff, and then maybe the Twitch, maybe the Twitch, maybe like Ninja, for example. But hey, there's a new update. Maybe I'll try that one out, and they'll still play it. They'll still continue on, and and the regular player will still continue playing it until he's bored out of his mind. But yeah, but now I, I know. I mean, like Fortnite's been been there, has been surviving for for long. And I mean, what was the last big game that came out that was supposed to be a Fortnite killer? Uh, the Fall Guys, for example. I think people throw around Fortnite killer for no good reason. People did the same thing with World of Warcraft when everyone was making MMOs. Yeah. Everybody made MMOs, and everybody's MMO was the World of Warcraft killer. And World of Warcraft's still going strong. So I don't think, you know, I think people are too quick to declare something the killer. Yeah, they they, they were, uh, it was funny last year they were were putting uh, Valorant. As the uh, as the Fortnite killer, I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't get that myself because Valorant's not a Fortnite type game. It's not a battle royale. It's a um, team shooter. Yeah, team shooter. More yeah. like CS:GO. Yeah. So really, Valorant would be up against CS:GO, not Fortnite. I think they were trying to make it like, oh, this it has more. It's attracted a lot of people. This that this is going to be the Fortnite killer. That's why. Like they were even putting Apex Legends as the Fortnite killer as well. Ironic, ironically. That makes more sense because Apex Legends is a battle royale. Yeah. And sometimes these games will, you know, pick up a big player base in the first month or two, and that'll drop off over time. But to kill an entire game like Fortnite, you really need to do everything Fortnite does better. Mm. And it's very hard to do do that without being just a Fortnite knockoff. Yeah. Although, mind you, Fort, um, Fall Guys was bought by Epic Games, I think, earlier this, earlier this year. Yeah. So if you can't beat them, join them. Yep. But again, Fall Guys is a different type of game entirely as well. It's not even a shooter game. Nah, it's it's ah, uh, it's not even okay. Yeah, I grant you the fact that it's not really even a shooter game, but it's more like a competition style game, like you know, Last Man Standing, that kind of that kind. Yeah, of. it is a battle royale, but it's a um platformer battle royale. Yeah. So with this court case, so uh, they announced like how much they're suing for and stuff like that, or is it just? Um, I'm not aware of. Anything like that. I do know the court case is about the um, Epic Games Store. Well, Epic Games having a bit of a uh, bad with Apple because they don't want to pay Apple's Apple tax. Oh, man. (laughs) Taxes. Taxes. Well, yeah. So Apple takes 30% cut for games uh, sales made on on iOS and uh, Epic decided they don't want to pay that anymore and tried to find a workaround. Apple blocked them from the app store and that's how this has all gone down. And now they're in court deciding whether they get to be allowed back onto the app store and to an extent whether Apple's 30% cut is worth it. But as I mentioned earlier, only 7% of Fortnite uh, players are on iOS so Epic could pretty much drop iOS completely and not see a huge loss. Yeah, but even if Apple, oh no, man, even if Epic were to go down, right, uh, um, and say, okay, you know what, screw you, Apple guys, I'm, we're not going to put on iOS, 
you're gonna get face a lot of backlash like yeah the gamers won't be happy but the the epic shareholders probably won't be hugely happy but it's not going to be the end of the world Hmm. but it might turn into like a cut your nose despite other people that kind of scenario though despite your face yeah yeah the point of that is just hurting yourself to for no good reason basically so yeah it could be that you know they if they lost that seven percent it's not the end of the world but they don't want to lose that seven percent no so they're going to try to avoid cutting it off entirely because as it is they're only losing 30 percent of that seven percent sales Mm. if um they were if they get kicked off ios entirely and don't get back in that's a full seven percent of their sales gone the problem's going to be, uh, as I said, the problem's going to be uh, the goodwill of the fans. It would, it'll be um, taken away in, in the in its entirety. That'd be the downside to it. But financial wise, it's. Eh. I think most people who play on mobile probably also own a laptop, and Fortnite isn't the most demanding game. No, no. So you could probably play Fortnite on a reasonably cheap uh, laptop. So I don't think it's, you know, the end of the world. I think most people will probably uh, change change platforms if they had to. The question will be what type of lap, plap, um, laptop are they going to get? Imagine there you get the iPhone users going, okay, I'm going to start playing Fortnite on my Apple Mac laptop. <laughs> I think you can do that. Yeah, but uh, come on. Like, would you really want to play a game on an Apple Mac though? Enough people do. I mean, I think they're making a big mistake, but some people do. <laughs> but we should move it along to the next topic yeah yeah ai is a bit of a buzzword actually it absolutely is a buzzword people are throwing it in everywhere (laughs) hey gotta gotta thank hollywood for making it a buzzword these days well it's not just that but every business every startup will say they're using ai and machine learning even if what they're doing isn't strictly ai they'll claim it because it People who don't know better think that it's uh, the future. Big deal. Yeah. yeah, it's the future. The future is now. It is. Uh, AI is the future, but there are better ways to do some things. That you'll find a startup doing something with AI, and there will be a better way to do it without AI. And mm. they're just using AI so they can use the buzzword. We have an AI-powered platform. <laughs> I can imagine now Apple just going, introducing the new iPhone. I don't know what number they are on right now, but introducing this new iPhone is with with um its screen. AI powered. Okay, Google does actually do that. Really? <laughs> Not for the screen, though. Um, Google has a chip. I don't remember the name of it, but it's a post processor for the camera. And it's in the um, flagship pixels. Not in the A model pixels, uh, but um, at least that was the case uh, for the model three pixel. I don't remember the pixel details on the pixel four, and it's an AI powered uh, post processor that allows it to take really good photos in poor conditions. From now, that- the in my experience, the three A and four A still take really good photos. So I don't know how much of a loss it is. I do know that. Uh, for the 3A, apparently it took slightly longer to take the photo because it's doing the processing on the uh, on the CPU rather than the dedicated AI chip. Mm. So but we're well, digressing a bit. Yeah. In- uh, 
just to, before we move on, though, uh, the chip is going to be called White Chapel. Okay. That's the name of the chip, so yeah. yeah. Um, in the Pixel 3 models, it was a Pixel Visual Core chip. Okay. And in Pixel 4, it's been replaced with Pixel Neural Core. But um, so our actual AI topic is that a uh, is that in the past three years, AI has diagnosed twenty Australian prostate cancer victims who would not have been picked up by classical uh, testing. So even though they are having this uh, in the case of the case study in the article, Greg Smith, he was having regular testing because uh, there's a genetic link to prostate cancer. It wasn't until he decided to submit his uh, test through uh, Maxwell Plus that he actually found out he had cancer, not knowing, like, and not knowing from his regular checkups that he had cancer because the regular checkups just couldn't find it. Huh. And that's the uh, advantage of AI here. I don't fully understand how the AI picked it up or what the testing involves, but AI medicine is, I think, one of the exciting avenues. Uh, it in this case, it picked up this cancer that had no other symptoms. Uh, in other cases, they're training AI to detect cancerous uh, cells in samples. And the advantage of that is that the AI can look at more samples for longer and pick up on things that humans can't. Yeah, they're saying here that uh, the technology is combined with a simple blood test to find out what the patient's risk of disease is. Hmm. Yeah, and you can also use AI uh, to crunch your data and pick out associations that human scientists have missed. So if you use the AI to analyze data, you feed in all of your data and you know, you're expecting it to come out with A equals B, but it will also come out with C equals B and nobody's ever looked at C before. It might not be an obvious uh obvious thing there. AI doesn't see things the same way humans do. And once an AI model picks up on something, it's not like you can go in and edit the code and take it out again. No, no. Just because of the way the AI works. So um, you end up with an AI taking a different path to the solution that might actually be more efficient. Mm. The interesting part about this is some... it. Some people are assuming that this could take away the uh, role of the GP. I don't think it would ever completely take away uh, the role of the GP. I think what you're more likely to see is that AI will supplement a GP. I don't think AI is at the point yet where you'd allow it to make all the decisions. You'd still want to have a human in the loop just to pick up on any mistakes. Humans make mistakes, but um, and that's why you have a second human in the loop. Uh, often, if you get prescribed medicine, when you go to the pharmacy, the pharmacist will double check your script and they might pick up on something the doctor missed. They might see that, you know, drug A interacts with drug B and that's bad. But if they give you drug B and drug C, that also uh, that works just as well, but without the side effects. So I think it's one of those things where you still want a human in the loop just for the odd case that it doesn't work out. But the AI will pick up on the pick up on the patterns that indicate disease and provide that information to the GP for the GP to then help you know, help you with your treatment. But then the problem with a uh, when it comes to AI uh, would be what if they um the, what if there is like not much data on a, on a certain disease. Let's say, for example, I have this uh, very rare um, blood disease. 
and the a- and I have all these symptoms. But the AI goes like, oh, we don't really have much data. What do we do? What does your GP do when that happens? Uh, he would say t- uh, we'll take a blood test. But what if you've got a condition that the GP doesn't know about? Or even your specialist, you might go to a specialist and might they might not know what your condition is. It particularly for uncommon diseases, humans aren't any better at AI than that than AI at that. And the AI has the advantage of not forgetting. Hmm. So your doctor might be having an off day and miss something. The AI doesn't really have off days like that. Imagine sooner or later they'll start saying like, um, imagine uh, your home AI goes like, "Hey, uh, professor, uh, I've, I've, while I was uh, going through a urine sample and your poop samples, I decided to, I uh, found that uh, there, there is a little bit of a uh, little, little bit of a high salt content. Uh, you might be going through a bit of a cancerous phase." Actually, yes, there are <laughs> companies that have done that. Are you serious? Yeah, there are companies that are working on AI-powered toilets that will (laughs) automatically analyze your waste and uh, pick up on anything that's going (laughs) wrong before it goes severely wrong. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) But that's going to be the crazy thing, though. Like, can you imagine you stretch that... Stretch the um, AI and find find diseases to your home. Like that'd be like (laughs) your AI determines what your diet will be because of your condition. Yeah, uh, that's important even in in hospitals these days. Oh yeah, that is Um, important. But like, come on, there has to be moments where you just go like, "But I I miss eating chocolate." Okay, I know I have this condition, and you know. You can still eat chocolate. It just might be recommended to cut back on it. Unless you're having an allergic reaction, I don't think... I'm not an expert. I'd have to consult with my uh, my girlfriend because she's actually done um, a placement as a dietitian in a hospital, uh, so she'd have a better idea than I do. But I don't think that's... Um, I don't think they completely cut you off from things, particularly if you're not hospitalized. Yeah. But a dietitian can help pick up on different diets that might help with different conditions. Not just, uh, not just like, you know, you're diabetic, so monitor your sugar, or you have celiac disease, so avoid gluten. But there's research going on into the role of your diet in other other areas. So whether your diet influences your cancer growth or whether it can affect other conditions. So an AI might be able to analyze your waste, pick up on what nutrients are missing or not being absorbed correctly, and then modify your diet to help improve that. Hmm. But I think one of the big advantages of medical AI is that they can be monitoring you 24-7, which sounds a bit creepy and stalkery, but the AI, like with these AI toilets we were just talking about, if it scans your waste, you know, once a day, it picks up on any changes um, before it gets worse. So it might pick up that there's a different level of a certain hormone in your waste and identify that as a sign of cancer of that particular gland. And then you'd get it picked up when the cancer is still 
tiny rather than waiting for it to completely take over the gland and need a full uh, surgery just to get rid of yeah. the cancer. So but I think that's the advantage of AI in medical treatment, that it can give you more frequent checkups. There's just not enough manpower to collect this much data, but putting the AI into the, the toilets and the scales and every other sort of tool that you just happen to interact with that could then collect data on your health from that tool. It um the sort of thing that you need an army of doctors monitoring you 24-7 to pick up. Because you're not going to go and pee in a bottle every day so your doctor can do an analysis every day. But you pee in your toilet every day, I hope, and <laughs> your toilet can do the analysis. So greatly reducing manpower cost. Not completely replacing doctors, you still need the human in the loop, but greatly reducing manpower costs while greatly increasing the amount of testing that can be done and also finding correlations that human eyes have missed. I think yeah. that's the, uh, the big advantages with this sort of technology. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Sooner or later, we'll have uh, we'll have our homes be like uh, like an Iron Man with a uh, Hey Jarvis, can you uh, can you do my blood toxicity level? I think I drank too much alcohol. Will I be able to drive? <laughs> Prescribing I mean, uh, mineral water and um, whatever else you have for a hangover. I don't know. <laughs> Eggs and, uh, and a Bloody Mary. <laughs> yeah. Prescribing Bloody Mary. <laughs> and then you'd, you'd stumble into your kitchen and it would pop out on a little shelf. And <laughs> But in terms of um, det- disease detection and stuff, I mean, it's it's a start. It's a good start. But yeah, if it... it, it if- It'd be good to see. It'd be good to see more of this sort of technology. And imagine putting this in um in various other settings instead of at the GP and stuff. So yeah, like like maybe point. with the toilets. Yeah, maybe the <laughs> toilet could have a sensor in it that would pick up on uh, prostate cancer in the urine. Yep, <laughs> something along those lines. Yep, something along those lines. But yeah. Or maybe like it just it could just go like uh, have a sensor, but then it would just email it to your doctor, going like, "Hey, uh, this guy's salt content just went hot, just went up. Should I be worried?" <laughs> yeah, and then you get a a phone call from your doctor asking you to come and make an appointment. Yeah, I think it would also help people who might not notice something going wrong themselves. Like, I'll be honest, I had a um, condition last year. I didn't notice that, you know, my health was slowly deteriorating over the course of a year until I went to the doctor and they're like, so your level should be this much, but it's this much. (laughs) (laughs) So having an AI in the home that could pick up on that would be great because you don't always notice that, you know, things are going wrong and you should get checked out because yeah. it just happens so slowly. Yeah. And what's the other interesting part about this is that um, the, it's focusing on a, on a certain disease that affects men as well. Yeah, there's not a lot of funding in prostate cancer. And so what part of the reason is that um, a lot of prostate cancers happen in older men and it's considered less of an issue because if you're old and you get prostate cancer, you're probably going to die with it, not from it. But if you're younger and you get it, you're more likely to die from the prostate cancer because you have more time for it to metastase. Yeah. And, you know, men don't always, men in particular, don't always go to their doctor when they should. Of course, we're a bunch of hypochondriacs. (laughs) 
hypochondriac. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The um and this is a, a much more tasteful way of uh detecting cancer and spreading awareness than the Brazilian testicular cancer mascot. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Testiculo. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I am not kidding. Mr. Testiculo. Oh, God. It's a mascot. A giant pair of balls. <laughs> <laughs> no! Raising no. awareness of testicular cancer. No! No! <laughs> No, it's it's great. Like <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> oh god! It was it, it, it's it, it, oh man. <sighs> hmm, no pictures in the uh, Wikipedia article. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I think I've seen it on Google Images, and I'm I'm tr- I'm mortified <laughs> beyond belief. Yeah. Oh my god! There's even a guy wearing it. It looks so weird. <laughs> I hate to be the guy wearing that costume. (laughs) (laughs) Can we have like Disneyland, but instead of people wearing Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse, it's all health mascots. (laughs) (laughs) And you want what? Mr. Testiculo to be at the front gate? (laughs) Of course. I so it's funny when I Google uh, Senhor Senhor Testiculo, uh, one of the first images that comes up is a looks like um Jonah Hill. Yeah. <laughs> like, the resemblance no. is uncanny. <laughs> oh, oh god. Oh god. <laughs> there are some things man should never see. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so that's how Brazilians handle men's health. <laughs> But, you know, this is all, strapping that up, this is all great news for the 20 people it's discovered with uh, with cancer, especially since a lot of them wouldn't have picked up on it until it had gotten worse. Yeah. And with cancer, often an early, uh, early treatment is a significant impact on mortality. Yeah, I think that, uh, I, I think there should be more research on this, uh, on this avenue and, I think it it will it will benefit a lot a lot more people besides men. It could also benefit um uh, oh, is it, I say not men, just I'm the men but the women and children too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially especially the older men and older women. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to see this uh, technology expanded. I I want to see more AI models for detecting disease. I want to see more day to day life sensors. Like yeah. I found out recently, the uh, newer Google phones have like heartbeat sensors, and they also use the camera to do breath rate analysis. Oh, that must be that'd be awesome! Yeah, so little sensors like that, you could take five minutes a day just to do some basic tests that would feed into an AI and pick up on any issues before they become severe. Of course, there's the data privacy aspect of that. Um, One thing people are concerned about with uh, data privacy, if you you get a genome test, is it legal for your um, insurance company to then go and reject your insurance because you have a pre-existing condition because of your genetics, things like that. There's a lot of debate about that. Yeah. So, it'd be, yeah, there'll be a lot of ethical issues in, when it comes to this. But I don't know. I mean, like, would you want to res- ignore the ethical issues because 
I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits to this, but then the ethics part, like, eh, do I really like? I could say stuff the ethics and just do it for the benefit for the benefit of mankind. Yeah, I think even just for yourself, it's a great um a great help. But I am a little concerned about all these startups collecting uh Data medical information. Yeah, or uh, government organizations as well. Yeah. Last year or the year before, there was a major hack of... Uh, I don't remember who was hacked now, but it released a lot of um, data on people's mental health, a lot of diagnosis and uh, identities. And right, you could go in there and find out Bob from down the road has schizophrenia or something like that. And was it you know, a, that information was, being out in the public isn't, the be- isn't it's not the best. Was this in Australia or...? In the US. Oh, okay. Um, Googling mental health data hack, I'm finding lots of articles here. It looks like the most. Um, yeah. Was it FireEye? No, FireEye is a different. They could have okay. gotten in through FireEye, but I think that's a different scenario. Yeah. But yeah, so there was one in October last year in Finland, uh, one in the US uh, in. December last year, and the latest is, I know it's an article from this week about the finish hack, which I'll just throw in the show notes so we have a reference for that. Uh, So, you know, they're collecting this information and then not securing it properly. That's my big concern. Yeah. It's hard to, like, it's hard to secure something and have it be absolutely completely bulletproof. On the other hand, uh, having access to this information and being able to aggregate it and feed it into the AI can give you a ton of data that you couldn't pick up before. It's, yeah, um, a complicated ethical issue. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, even if you put in a a lot of firewalls, I think the hackers will find will, will still find a way so uh, it's it's a it's a losing battle it's an arms race yeah you, your security team need to be absolutely on top of their game but there are so many little things that can let a hacker in yeah and even if your servers are the best most secure servers it doesn't always protect you against an inside threat no it, it know, won't. someone might walk in and find a computer unlocked or a an employee who thinks they're going to get fired might steal all the data. It's um, it's a complicated issue, and we are digressing quite a bit, which we seem to be doing today. Yep. Normally, yep. Um, my episodes aren't too bad for digressions. So, anyway, what's your topic tonight, DJ? So Hi. we're recording in the afternoon. What is up with my head? <laughs> this is the sun has gone down, Professor. The sun has gone down, has it? <laughs> Apparently. Normally we record at night, but... (laughs) Um, So my story is about how a Montreal-based comic book company is suing Marvel and DC for ripping off a design multiple times in its Iron Man, Ant-Man, and Avengers movie. So So the common denominator there is that Iron Man. Yep, Iron Man and the Avengers, yeah. (laughs) So they're claiming Iron Man's uh, costume? Yeah, well, the costume design, but yeah, basically... And uh, it, so basically the story is Horizon's uh, comics and its founders Ben and Raymond Lai alleged that Marvel used their designs without consent or compensation and are suing for damages and injunction to, to and I quote, 
put an end to this deliberate and persistent infringement and to order defendants to pay compensatory or punitive damages to the plaintiff in addition to Horizon's costs, which include solicitor-client costs. Okay, but why do Horizon think that they own the Iron Man costume? So the so basic so it started with the three volumes of the Radix series, which were published by Image Comics, and uh, it's been sold. Uh, it's been sold to the uh, comic book industry for tens and thousands of copies in Canada and USA. And uh, the suit says that Marvel's now editor, editor in chief Chester Borg. Sobolski approached the Lie Brothers to work for Marvel based um, on the popular series, but they declined the offer. So here's so this is the similarities they were saying. So Marvel's third Iron Man movie was released in 2013. The Pop Brothers noticed the similarities between the third um, between the armored costume worn by Robert Downey Jr. and their designs. The costume changed in each of the Iron Man films. The Iron Man suit in the third installment, as the lawsuit reads, strikingly similar to the suit worn by Ka- by a Caliban, one of the characters portrayed in Horizon Works Radix Number One. And uh, Horizon Comics filed this lawsuit in 2013, which was partially dismissed, although it was allowed to proceed based on similarities to the movie's poster design and Caliban suit. Uh, Justice Paul Oakton, however, reached a non-infringement conclusion in the horizon, citing hefty legal bills of more than $1.5 million, saying it does not have the funds to complete its legal fight. Okay. Yeah, and uh, interestingly, uh, some, Marvel was... Oh, sorry. Well, I do see that um, they also, uh, also had a go at MIT for using their design in a... Um, in a an grant. image for yeah for a nanotechnology research grant yeah yeah which is interesting I'm like wow really <laughs> MIT <laughs> copying so yeah so they um it looks like they published uh, Radix MIT borrowed the design and got in trouble and then apologized publicly then a month after the MIT apology Marvel hired the Lay Brothers to work on. Uh, Marvel Comics. Yeah, and uh, there's another lawsuit. Uh, the, and so this new lawsuit argues that the further Marvel releases that featured Iron Man, including the 2018 Avengers Infinity War, consistently appropriate Horizon's work. The new Iron Man suit in the Avengers film, as the lawsuit argues, is now substantially similar to that to the Radix character Maxwell. <laughs> and um, the suit's reading, um, in some, not only... W- not only one of the distinctive features raised by Justice Oakton in the American proceeding, no longer present in Infinity War suit, but several adding several additional strikingly similar features on the Radix suit were added. Okay, actually, I've been pulling up pictures of um of these characters, and yeah, I do see the resemblance. The Iron Man costume is pretty similar to the uh, to these other costumes. On the other hand, it's a suit of power armor. How different could it be? But there are a lot of a lot of um, details there, like little things that really look identical. Yeah, things that really look sus. You reckon it's a bit of a, a, a bit, they're stretching a bit though, or you reckon they have an actual case? Um, I think 
I can see a, a lot of details on on the suits that seem to match up. I think it'll come down to whether a like whether it can be considered copyrighted. Where did the original idea for uh, these characters come from? Maybe the Radix costumes were inspired by real world designs. Like the MIT team used the Radix costume. Maybe it's inspired by previous projects so you know who actually has the prior art on this i do think um like superficially they look different but i think the more i look at it the more elements are jumping out at me particularly uh so yeah, i'll put up i'll put up a picture so this is from yeah. the infinity war post uh one, one of their posters yeah that infinity war uh, image there um it looks like actually that's a, a shot from the front of a magazine that they're yeah. using, but that's the particular image I was looking at. Like particularly the so the areas have highlighted, but I also see a similarity on his abdomen. They both have that sort of face pattern on their abs. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Although the Radix guy doesn't have the wings or um, a few other features that Iron Man has, but Iron Man does have a lot of features that the Radix guy has. <laughs> I, I've seen another. Even the uh, the gauntlets look a bit similar, and it makes it does make me wonder if uh, the Lie Brothers or Lay Brothers, have you pronounce that, worked with um, Marvel in the early two thousands. So, but if they worked with Marvel at um, at some point, did they show around their comic, and did somebody at Marvel who still happens to work there? It has been you know almost twenty years. Not that long when the uh, when Iron Man three came out though. Um, I do see one of the comparison shots is I think that's the Iron Man three poster. Iron Man and their character are both doing the standard hero three point uh, landing pose. Yeah, but that um, but that one uh, apparently. So in that case, mind you, so this is strikingly similar to the war to so the lawsuit claims. In one of, in the other ones, it's uh, strikingly similar to the suit worn by Caliban, one of the characters portrayed in Horizon Works Radix Number One. It is worth noting that Horizon Comics filed suit against Marvel in 2013, which was yeah, as I said, which it, this was the one that was partially dismissed, but was allowed yeah. to uh, proceed concerning the movie poster design. Okay. So, yeah. What's even more striking for me though is Ant Man. Oh yeah. So the uh, traditional Ant Man design um, looks kind of like a guy in a weird spacesuit, but then they have the uh, Radix costume, suit of armor type thing, which looks very similar to the modern Ant Man design. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now when you, now when I look at it. I know. I, I mean, okay. While this th- this case does seem like it it, ha- it might have grounds, but then to be honest with you, it feels like a couple of nitpicky, like couple of nitpicks in a sense. It does. Like, are they? I'm not 100 percent sure here whether you know. I thought maybe initially that since they'd also had the spat with MIT, uh, maybe they were just uh, copyright trolls taking them to court for their. Um, for vague similarities, hoping that they uh, settle. Um, I mean, what, I, mean I, I mean, this it, it could be a, if if this go, if this court case goes through, it'd be very interesting to see what um what we might see um pop up. Like, I mean, well, who knows? Maybe DC would go like, "Hey, Tony Stark um 
hey, the, uh, Bat- Tony Stark, uh, you're not you're copying Batman because you're you're also rich rich guy as well. With a, I think with that's a- suitably different though. Yeah, I know, but it's- Batman's more about his physical ability. Like oh, yeah. he has the the tech, but. Iron Man is all tech. Oh, yeah. He's got all tech and stuff, but then both of them are stunningly rich billionaires in an essence. Yeah. So, like, like there'll be, like, other little nitpicks that people try and use to, like, go, hey, you're copying our work, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think uh, Marvel and DC would have had it out already if there was a case there. They're big yeah. companies. They can afford tons of lawyers. Yeah. And interestingly, uh, Disney's uh, response to this entire fiasco, uh, they shrugged it off. <laughs> yeah, Disney's going to pretend that they don't care, but Disney will care if it starts hitting their bottom line. Yeah. Like, if it turns out that um, if Radix win the Horizon win the case and they have to pay uh, royalties, Disney would definitely care then. Oh, yeah. Especially with their thin margins. Mm-hmm. But we'll uh, move along from there onto our nerdful things. What have you done this week, DJ? What did you do? <laughs> I, 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 I went and saw the Snyder Cut again. <laughs> Why? Nah, I'm just kidding. I didn't even do that. <laughs> I just love trolling you with that now. It just, it just you're an animal. <laughs> um, what did I do? Damn, I, I, I haven't been doing much to be honest. Like I've been watching, um, I, I've been watching Final Space, and that's been that. It's been a roller coaster of emotions of that episode with that series as of late. Yeah. Don't spoil it for me though, because um, I'm waiting for it to come out on Netflix. Yeah, I I, I will say this though, it's uh this this recent episode, it's a uh, very eye opening and um does uh open up a, a theme about a con- a concept called closure. That's all I'm going to say about that one. But okay, yeah, yeah. it's uh, there are some tender moments with this new episode, so I won't spoil much. I will I mean, spoil. The show's it. always been great at tender moments. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, even the last week's episode, which um, as I again, I will not spoil. Um, there were some really nice moments in that episode. I just want to go like, I cannot believe they did that. How could they? But um, yeah, with this one, I would uh, give this one a three and a half out of five. Like there were some, there there were, there were some moments in in this episode where you just want to go like, oh, I can't. What the he- what the hell are you doing, man? Why are you? Is it as good as the first two seasons? Ooh. They're better than the first two seasons. They're better than the first two seasons. Oh, but wow. The, yeah. Wait, but so it, you're rating it three out of five, but it's better than the first two seasons? The reason why... you the first two seasons? <laughs> the explosion happening <laughs> the in Europe. But then at the, end of, at the end of season one, he decides that, you know, they have to go back to, um, back to the bar where he met um, Quinn. And... The bars in New York. <laughs> wow, that is one interesting detail. <laughs> like, like the explosions in Europe, but they travel to New York. Yeah. So, you know, how did they travel really quickly from New York to Europe to go to the spaceport? Because <laughs> I don't think they actually, like, traveled there. I think they just ran down the street to the... Uh, Teleporter? No, there's no teleporters in the show. Well, there are, but I think the spaceport uh, must have been close to the bar. 
I don't think it's likely that they actually, you know, traveled all the way to Europe and then hopped in a spaceship for an urgent mission. <laughs> the one thing I will never understand with the entire show is are they trying to make Gary like the current the this this generation's version of um Christ- of um, Star Trek's Pike with um you know the, with, with the um what's, what's... Who's that? Um, who's that director that did the uh, the the recent Star Trek movies? God, that names of uh, God, the name. Joss Whedon. No, not Joss. No, uh, wait, Joss Whedon. I thought it was some. Um, or is it J.J. Abrams? Yeah, that's what I always yeah. confuse those two. Yeah, me too. Yeah, J.J. Abrams' uh, version of uh, Kirk in Star Trek. But I feel like the, Gary is the this generation's version of Kirk. Okay. Although, mind you, like Kirk was much more daring and. Much more braver than Gary. Gary's just like, uh, I'm not brave. I'm just a, an idiot. Yeah, Gary's an idiot, but he somehow pulls it off. Yeah. So, what notable thing have you done, Professor? Um, I watched the Netflix movie Stowaway. Oh yeah. It's a um, drama movie based on, um, well, possibly based on a short story called The Cold Equations. Basically, the there's a crew of three people on a mission to Mars. And they find a stowaway on board, but they don't have enough resources to keep everyone alive. Okay. And I think I have to give it only two and a half out of five. Really? Wow. That's yeah. A- I'm really disappointed because it uses uh, Scott Manley as a science consultant. Okay. Who's Scott Manley? He's a YouTuber. Like he's um, he's actually trained as an astrophysicist, but he does a lot of space games on YouTube. Kerbal Space Program, uh, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, But because of that, he spends a lot of time, you know, going in depth on the science of his rockets and designs and the games. So I'm disappointed that a few things are just a bit weird. Uh, So my main issue, um, my main issue, the they don't explore how the stowaway got on board. They actually say, you know, they when he uh, arrives on board, they find him behind a panel and they uh, they ask him how he got there. And he says, well, I was working on the spaceship, you know, bolting it all together and um, doing some checks before the launch. And then I remember falling and somehow he's inside, but they never explore like, is he lying? Did somebody put him there? Um, the, I suppose, okay, maybe I'm being a bit harsh to Scott Manley. I suppose the science is decent. It's just that there are some plot points that don't make a lot of sense. But, you know, how did he get on board the the ship bolted in behind a panel when his job was on the outside of the ship? Um, why are they only carrying enough, like one single CO2 scrubber? And why is it? It's not a complicated device in the movie. It's really small, but it gets damaged, and that's why they run out of oxygen. It's not like the there wasn't room for a second one. <laughs> um, yeah. So. So two and a half out of five, eh? Yeah, I enjoy the story. The story. I enjoy the moral dilemma. I just think how they got there and a few other things. You know, there's some really good scenes um, of spacewalks and stuff. It's got nice uh, CGI. Visually, it's pretty stunning, but the story just really um, drags it down for me. There's a lot of holes in it. And, yeah, they never seem to really explore that. Uh, 
But I do like that they explore, you know, they've got this extra guy on board. There's not enough oxygen. How can they get more? Or how can it be ethical to kill this guy so that everyone else can live? <laughs> and, you know, who dies, who lives? I think it's, um, yeah, I don't want to give it a three out of five, but maybe I will. Uh, because it's a good, um, good drama. Just I don't like how they got where they were, sort of. Okay. Apart from the holes, the moral dilemma is really good. Okay, okay. Uh, I also uh, looked up the cold equations after I watched it and found out that, um, and someone compared it to that, and I think that's pretty good too. So we'll have a short break and then be back with our um, events of interest. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So starting with our shout outs, on the 3rd of May, we had the 25th anniversary of The Craft. You're a bit of a fan of this one, aren't you, DJ? Oh, yes, I am. Oh, yes, I am. Hey, it's, uh, it was the 90s and uh, witchcraft was a thing. Uh, well, hot, Yeah, hot that chicks. was big in the 90s. Yeah, hot chicks and witchcraft. That's um a bit weird, though. I see in the uh, summary you've given me that other movies and TV shows have done um, witchcraft, Broad City, Charmed, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and Pen15. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't sound like, sound right. <laughs> no. Uh, just a quick Google search says that it's a cringe comedy show. <laughs> but I Wait, don't immediately see witchcraft, but I guess it must be an episode with that or something. Well, the plot saying here, like it's described as middle school as it really as it really happened, where they're both uh, the two girls are both thirty one year olds at the start um, start of one um, season one play versions of themselves as thirteen year old social outcasts in the year two thousand. Oh, wow. <laughs> Surrounded that by actual 13-year-olds. <laughs> that sounds bad. <laughs> I know, it's, it's the cringe comedy part. <sighs> and it says that um, the best day of your life can turn into your worst with a stroke of a gel pen. Is that <laughs> hinting at a magic pen? Uh... Or is it something more mundane? Who knows? <laughs> so you're uh, into 90s witch shows? Back back in the good old days, you know, in the nineties, it was I, I was a teenager and hot chicks and witchcraft. I mean, who wouldn't who wouldn't say yes? Who wouldn't say no to that? Okay, I know a lot of these nineties witch shows have um have reboots. Do you think any of them are any good? Have you watched them? Uh I saw bits. I saw the trailer for the reboot of Charmed, and it was eh, it's it's it doesn't have the um it doesn't have the the chemistry in okay. the old seasons, like the old, the old series were fun to watch. They, they had like bits of comedy and it was the, like, there was a bit of drama and family and stuff, but yeah, these ones, it was just, eh, eh, what, what, what are you doing, man? That kind yeah, of thing. I think it's hard to make a show that, um, like to reboot a show and capture the attention of 
the people who like the original and the the next generation. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to make sort of intergenerational TV like that, I think. Yeah. Especially since the people who lived through the original show have built up, you know, it might not have been as great as they think it is, but they've built up good memories of it. So they might go back and watch it and think this is terrible, but in their heads, it's still the best thing ever. Uh, on the 4th of May, Bill and Melinda Gates announced their divorce. Although they are getting divorced, they plan to continue working together in the foundation, and it seems like they are having a fairly amicable divorce. They originally met at a work dinner. Uh, Melinda beat Bill at a maths game, and they got married in Hawaii in 1994. Also, a bit of a coincidence, they're the second high-profile Seattle billionaires to end their marriage in recent years, the other being Bezos. Oh, boy. Yeah. Although, hell of a uh, investment. You spend 25 years married and you divorce and you get, like, 100 million bucks. Or however much it worked out to be, I don't remember. <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, good to hear that they're having an amicable divorce and not a, not a problematic one. There we go. Billions of dollars for uh, the Bezos divorce. Not millions. I had a brain fart there. <laughs> I do enjoy the memes, though. Like, I feel bad for them, but I enjoy the memes. Uh, I saw a blue screen the other day that said, oops, our marriage has encountered a problem and we have to divorce. <laughs> oh, 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 I saw one the other day where... Um, oh, I, I, I saw one where uh, Bezos, is, uh, Bill Gates' missus, is now one of the richest women <laughs> because of this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, while they're together, she's still technically one of the richest women on earth. But um, now that they're divorced, apparently that makes a difference. Because legally, when you're married, your assets are mixed. So um, it just seems odd to me that, you know, they're, they're only suddenly the richest women once they get divorced. Mm hmm. Although we do consider they, uh, in in these cases at least, we seem to consider their husbands as the financial powerhouses of the family. The, so maybe that's why. Anyway, uh, our next one we have... Oh, I was d disappointed there. I thought the next one might have been on the 5th of May and we would have had a triple a trifecta. But nope, <laughs> on the 6th of May, we have the 30th anniversary of the Shadow of Isobius. <laughs> Now you know how I felt. Now you know how I felt. Yep. It's a Sierra Online game developed by Joe Ibarra and the first of three graphical MUDs. According to reviews from the time, it set the standard by all, which all future MUDs would be judged. So a MUD is a multi-user dungeon, and traditionally they were text-based. But then uh, in the early 90s, we started having games like Shadow of Azerbius, um Ultima, and they were really the first graphical MMOs. Unfortunately, uh, Shadow of Azerbius was shut down in 1996 when AOL bought the company and uh, considered it a competitor to their own Neverwinter Nights. There are fan projects to revive it, though, so if you want to try out some 90s uh, MMO, and be warned, they haven't necessarily aged well, you can give it a go. On our remembrance... Uh, we have on the 5th of May, 2007, Theodore Maiman. Theodore was an American engineer and physicist who is credited with the invention of the laser. His first laser was successfully fired on May 16, 1960. He invented the laser while working at the Hughes Aircraft Company. His design was based on a synthetic ruby crystal, which other scientists felt wouldn't work. 
And the reason lasers are important is because they have what's called coherent light, which is perfectly in phase, perfectly the same, wa same wavelength. So when you turn on your, uh, your light, you get a lot of different colors of light coming out of your light bulb. But a laser only gives you one exact wavelength of color. Maimon died from systemic mastocytosis at 79 in Vancouver. And for our famous birthday, on the 5th of May, 1830, we have John B. Stetson, an American hatter who invented the classic cowboy hat. And if you ever put that on, you immediately have to speak in a cowboy accent. It is non-negotiable. He also invented the uh, Carlsbad hat, but his Stetson hat was named Stetson because he had the name John B. Stetson Company embossed in gold on the hat band. Stetson's Western hat style hats were worn by the employees of the National Park Service, the U.S. Cavalry, U.S. Presidents, and law enforcement. He was born in Orange, New Jersey. And for our event of interest, on the 5th of May, 1809, Mary Keyes became the first woman awarded a U.S. patent for a technique for weaving straw with silken thread. During the Napoleonic Wars, the U.S. embargoed trade with France and Great Britain, which uh, led to Mary Keyes filling the gap in the straw weaving industry and developing her uh, style of woven straw hat. Keyes wasn't the only American woman to innovate in hat making. In 1798, Betsy Metcalf invented a method for braiding the straw. Fortunately, the original patent file was destroyed in an 1836 fire. And on the 5th of May, 1961, two Atlantis movies were released in different countries. Atlantis, The Lost Continent, was released in West Germany. A Greek fisherman brings an Atlantean princess back to her homeland. He is enslaved for his trouble. The king is being manipulated by an evil sorcerer who is bent on using the resources of Atlantis to take over the world. The slaves of Atlantis are forced to mine a crystalline material which absorbs the sun's rays. The crystals can then be used for warmth. Science has created weapons from the crystals which fire a heat ray to destroy whatever it touches. The film included stock footage from other films, including Oscar-winning films, Quo Vetus and the, Nak the Naked Jungle. They also reused props from other productions, including a temple idol from The Prodigal, trail instrument, instrument gauges from The Forbidden Planet, and wardrobes from Diane and Ben-Hur. When pointed out to the director that there were thousands of years of difference between the different costumes and props, he replied, who knows? That's an epic, epic response. <laughs> if you have yeah. like Basically just bugger off, I'm doing what I want. <laughs> Following the preview of the film, a questionnaire was distributed asking viewers which scene they liked. One person answered, the scene where Robert Taylor saved Deborah Kerr from the fire. This was actually a, a stock footage scene taken from Quo Vadis. <laughs> wow. Who would have thought that would ever happen? <laughs> and in Italy, uh, Atlantis, Journey Beneath the Desert, no, sorry, just Journey Beneath the Desert, was released. After a helicopter crash in the desert, the crew winds up in the underground city of Atlantis and gets mixed up in a slave revolt. Edgar G. Ulmer wrote to the producer that the making of this picture was a nightmare. Its first director quit the project after two days without shooting any relevant footage, <laughs> unable to deal with the pressures of the production. <laughs> Why be a director in the first place when you can't even do that? <laughs> well, um, Shirley Ulmer wrote, uh, they didn't want to say anything to hurt the guy, but he sure didn't know what to do. Strange language and customs, perhaps. <laughs> and that's how uh, Edgar Ulmer replaced Borzage. Um, but Ulmer also had to share a co-director credit with Giuseppe Massini, who is said never to have set foot on the film location, 
to appease the Italian government, which had helped to subsidize the film. Uh, Asioso Borzaj, or Borzaji maybe, uh, had health issues, which contributed to him leaving. And that's all we have for today. Where can they find us, DJ? Uh, they can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And they can also find us on that's not where we're an archive of our old episodes and new episodes, such as the uh, new edition, new uh, music podcast known as Music for the Mind. It is a, it's a, well, the synopsis of this is basically. Welcome to the music of the mind. Combined forces, combined minds, and combined music passions for Jake, Serenity in Brutality, music, Metal Music Discovery Australia, and Shannon, the ca- colourful writers, and Good Call Live. So here at Music at, for the Mind, we plan to discuss this in in-depth. For episode one, we have for, for your podcast hosts, Jake and Shannon, discussing the concept and interviewing each other. For all subsequent episodes, we will have various guests on the podcast to discuss various topics all focused around music and mindfulness. Huh, interesting. All right, well, look after yourself, stay hydrated, and we'll see you next time. Uh, It's time for me to go and have fun with giant vampire ladies. Bonk. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started